Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. Hi, Amanda. Hi. So I have so much I want to talk to you about, and it's so nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Thanks for being here. Um, first off, do you want to just introduce yourself? Um, um, I'm the founder of, of Indie Deck Review. Um, I'm the editor there. I work with an amazing team of humans, and our job is to talk about indie decks and promote them and market them and make sure that everybody sees them um, and to do it in a way that is supportive and um, makes more tables and makes more seats at all of the tables. And uh, I, I read tarot, I read Oracle, I am a diviner. I don't know. That's yeah. You um, I think that's it? <laughs> you well, you're also in your own right an artist and creator Ooh, and mother and yes, yes, I am. I am those things. I'm learning to art at the moment. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm playing with acrylic inks and water, uh, watercolor and oil pastels and all kinds of fun things. That's great. Yeah. Well, for one. I have been interested and I think you really sparked my interest when you were very open about your experience with losing your sense of smell due to COVID. And I got COVID last September myself. So I hope it wasn't horrible, horrible for you. It was pretty mild for me. Um, It was 2020. There weren't vaccines. Right. At this point, like if, if there were, it was November of 2020. If there were vaccines, they weren't available to people who weren't um, immediately in need. Yeah. You know, um, I couldn't get my vaccine until March of 21 or February. Pretty, or pretty normal. Yeah. 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 Um, and my husband came home. He was sick. And That's how it happened for me. I, too. <laughs> I got sick. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, then my youngest daughter got sick. He was sick for about a week. I was sick for about three weeks, like actively sick. Um, and my youngest was sick for like four days. I mean, it was, it was, it should have been milder and milder. I have health conditions that made it not milder. Yeah. Um, everybody in the house, like my husband and my daughter got their sense of smell back after about four to six weeks. Um, so just after Christmas, and then mine didn't come back. Um, I think it was maybe the summer following when I could start getting wisps of smells. Um, I tried not to think about it like for a really long time. Um, I was in a panic. I couldn't tell what was what. It was like I, I yeah. couldn't orient myself in, in a room. Um, and it was so disturbing to me. It was like, I have synesthesia. Mm-hmm the interblending of senses. Um, you do. So I wonder if it's why it's so hard to lose a sense because they're interconnected. I was trying to share this and people were going, it's just your sense of smell. Like, God, at least you're not in the hospital. And I'm like, it's like my whole being is like freaking out. And, and I saw your post and you shared like you were grieving it and how it was such a comfort. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) like, that's exactly how I'm feeling. So it was really good to reach out to you, um, to know that I wasn't alone. I'm glad that was helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, For me, losing my sense of smell meant losing, uh, the way I cooked, um, everything that I ate food had been, um, food was like a gift. Food was a thing. Um, in my house growing up, my stepfather believed that real people, real cooks never need recipe books. So we weren't allowed to have cookbooks in our house. So everything I made had to come from somebody somewhere else. And somewhere along the way, I learned to recreate everything I ate by the way it smelled. 
Um, and so I had just kind of like cobbled together my whole, the way I gave, the way I communicated, the way I um, fed my family, the way I nourished people through those senses. And when I could no longer smell, when mm. I could no longer, um, and then the sense of taste also changed. Like I can't handle, oh God, this is a tragedy. I can't handle the taste of salsa. The onions are too much. Garlic is too much. Tomatoes don't taste. You mean now or like always now? No, before I could drink salsa from the jar. You loved it. God, it was my lifeblood. Um, Cilantro. I can still do cilantro, but everything else is out. Um, I can't eat strawberries. They are my favorite fruits. I can't. Oh God, I can't eat oranges. I can't eat apples. Bananas are really awful. It was just. It was very difficult. And it took the better part of a year before I really started to allow myself to think this may never change. You know, I can't smell when things are on fire. Um, I can't smell, I can't smell my own body. It's definitely been an adjustment. And lately I've been thinking about the scents that have come into my life since then. You know, like I started working with aloes wood incense. I started working with a different kind of frankincense incense. I found black coffee incense that I don't know what it smells like. I have no idea what it actually smells like. I know what it smells like to me. Um, Now, yeah. How strange. Yeah, I get it. It's all just so new. And like, I find myself wondering, like, did we already go through this? Like when we came into the world, you know, like, is this how we adjusted? after we were born. Um, right. Cause it's all like later. learning. Yeah. Learn. It's like relearning. And that makes me think of what I learn about in thanatology is, is learning how to adapt after the loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. So it sounds exactly like grief. It sounds oh, exactly it's absolutely like absolutely grief. It's um, absolutely yeah. Grief. So yeah. for you to identify that, I was just yeah, I was so glad you were there putting words to what I was feeling and not, I didn't even realize it was, I was grieving until I saw, I mean, you were months ahead of me in the experience, but ooh, it's, it's just so hard. And, and yeah, we're learning and we're adapting as we go. And for people who was such a part of our identity, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. So what do we do? <laughs> We, we keep going. There's, there aren't a lot of healthy options. We just keep going, figure it out. Keep trying. Um, yeah. I tried scent therapy for a while. Have you heard of that? Yeah. From you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I did try the scent therapy and it, um, scent therapy is where you, you use the four essential oils, uh, eucalyptus, clove, rose, and lemon, and you just smell them throughout the day because those are scents that your brain already already knows. So you just keep trying to smell them the way your brain knows they smell. Um, lemon never stopped. Like it's so light of a scent that it never, um, it never changed. And it also was kind of gross. Um, rose was probably synthetic rose and cheap anyway. So it just didn't, I never could grasp it. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't smell that one either. Yeah, but clove, clove smelled unexpectedly floral, like light, Mm. sharp, where clove used to smell deep and velvety Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. almost brown. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like chocolate. Um, Right. But now clove smells like light flowers, like, um, like Bath and Body Works spring, Mm. you know, is that sharp so strange. Yes. And eucalyptus, eucalyptus used to smell to me, it used to smell like, um, deep green and, um, uh, the, that color blue of the Vicks jar, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that was such a strong association for me. And now, um, it smells almost lemony. It smells light. It smells, um, also floral. And since, Scents come into my nose differently. Like before mm-hmm. it was the mm-hmm. whole thing. Now it's like, um, up the sides of a straw. It's just on yeah. the outer edge. 
like the center is gone. a little tinge of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It's very strange the way scent has become um, physical in a way that it wasn't before. So how does your, how would you say you kind of came to find that you were a synesthete and like, I didn't know that before talking to you. So I'm really interested. Oh. I've never met another one. <laughs> Um, I didn't know anything about it. I just, I thought everybody, um, saw and thought and felt the same as me. Um, I grew up in a house where, um, there was a lot of, you're no different than anybody else. You know, you are the Mm. same. That was the tone of your family you're saying? Yes. So, um, I just assume everybody was the same, you know, and I was like floored when I grew up and, uh, moved away uh, to discover that, that that's not actually true. <laughs> yeah. um, people aren't the same and that's beautiful and wonderful. But growing up, I, um, I, people had colors, you know, like there were blue people and there were green people. Um, lots of people were pink. Um, I loved the pink people. Um, and, and the colors were like, as I grew up and, and looked back, I could, you know, that's how it, I would feel around them. I would feel yeah. pink colors. Um, I would feel, I would experience other people in colors. Um, scents became food. Scents became um, like, like uh, if, I, if I invited you over and I wanted to make you comfortable, if I wanted to make you um, feel cozy, I would make cookies whether or not we were going to eat them, I would just make them so that the house smelled like cookie houses, which are comfortable houses. You know, they're warm, they're chocolatey, they're a little gooey, they taste good with milk. Um, You know, they're- Did you have a color that you associated with that? Like- With cookies? Um, Yeah, or was it more of a, that's different than like the, what you would see people as. It was like a a smell comfort thing. Yeah, it was different. Cookies smelled like cookies, but felt like cinnamon toast, which both felt like mornings and sunshine and easy, you know, um, I was a, um, like, I couldn't read music. I, I could hear music and play the music and understand that stuff. I could not make those little notes do the thing. Um, so when you were hearing the notes, were they colors or like, were you seeing things? Sometimes. Smells or- One of my favorite color songs is, um, it's a Benny Goodman song. Uh, oh, sing, sing, sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorites. Um, but that's how I thought of everything. Like, okay, well they're in relationship with each other and maybe somehow that is why and how like tarot works for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely part of why tarot works for me. Um, I, re- I remember um, in my kids, ele- my youngest elementary school, when she first was in like kindergarten or first grade, um, I wasn't, I didn't get along with the, the lady who worked in the office. Um, and I, I don't know why. And I remember one day waiting for my kid after school and this bus driver um, was really late, was yelling. Parents were calling because they couldn't find their kid. It had been like, they, at this point, I think they were like 45 minutes late. And, you know, everybody's upset. They're thoroughly upset. And the bus driver is, the parent is yelling at this woman. And the bus driver is also yelling at this woman. She's got both of them on separate phones, like on speaker. So it's just two people screaming at her. And I'm the only other person in the office and I'm just sitting there. And the minute we like, I'm getting anxious, it's all red and it's all angry and it's all just sharp and pointy and jagged. And she and I made eye contact. And I just, I mean, like my eyes just started welling up and tears started streaming down my face. And when she got off the phone and and this woman had never said anything kind to me. I mean, when I said, hello, how are you doing? She was like, really rude. She just did not like me. And, um, I'm sitting there crying with her. Like, these are not my emotions. I do not Mm -hmm. feel personally. I Mm -hmm. think these people on the phone are really rude, but I understand the terror. The child had fallen asleep in the seat. 
directly behind the bus driver. Oh, so God. it's the one seat and the whole bus that the bus driver cannot <laughs> see. I'm feeling it now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, he'd already passed. Like, that's why the mom was so upset because the bus driver had already been and gone. And now he's at the Whoa. end of his road. And um, the the receptionist, like, I'm sitting there think she's getting stuck. She cannot speak. She is overwhelmed and overworked and having two people scream at her. She's like freezing. And all I could think is like calmly in my head, I'm overthinking, tell him to stop and turn around, stop, stand up, put the bus in park, stand up and turn around and look in the seat. And finally she says that to the the bus driver. And he says, this kid is asleep. I'll turn the bus around and drop him off. And like everything just ended. And I didn't say a word. I didn't say a single word to this woman. This all happened in within. Yeah. Like and her too. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell staring at each other with tears streaming down our faces. And then my kid comes in and she, (laughs) she was in detention because she told her art teacher that her rules about crayons were stupid. And um, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. So she comes barreling in to this extremely tense moment, um, moment between two women who are not friends, who are crying together. And um, I scoop her up and I look at this lady and I say, your job seems really difficult sometimes. And she's like, yeah. I said, I hope it gets better. And, um, but who knows what she was going through at work every day, you know? Yeah. If it was anything like those few moments, that's awful. It's, it's so important to validate people for the way that they are able to function. I mean, cause we all have these coping mechanisms that are maybe dysfunctional, maybe put people off, but what you did for that secretary was so validating that maybe somewhere she felt like she could take a breath sometimes. And remember when you said that. When I, um, to circle back, we were talking about how, uh, how I experienced synesthesia, how I came to know that that was, um, that was a label I could like put in my little basket of labels, I guess, you know, that that was something I had. Um, I, was in therapy and um, we had been seeing each other for God, we saw each other for like three years. And the last, the last six months of our therapy was lots of diagnoses, um, mm-hmm. uh, PTSD, autism. Um, like I thought synesthesia was some made up word. The kids were just, you know, this is just something. I didn't realize it was a real, uh, thing. And, um, I'm always really hesitant to, um, reach out and grab a label for myself. Like I have a really complicated relationship with my own autism. I didn't come to it like, Oh, thank God. This is a huge revelation. This is great. Um, but I came to it from a I'm trying to fix and heal my own trauma. And is this just one more thing I have to fuck? Yeah, totally. No, I had that feeling too. um, I had a hard time coming out with it. I felt like even, you know, I've never experienced having to come out from a, uh, like a sexual orientation, but it felt that what I can imagine. Even that that too, like, um, God, I was 43. And I was on the phone with a friend of mine. She's a, she's a lesbian. She's an out lesbian. And she was talking about her coming out story and just how, you know, she always knew who she liked. And I was like, well, I never thought about it. I never thought about my gender. I never thought about who I liked or their gender. Like, honestly, me too. Yeah. um, It's just sort of. And, and so it's interconnected. Have, yeah, <laughs> it's like, all well, like, yeah, human, human, the end. Right. Um, Even so other species. Really long discussion. <laughs> and she was asking me all these questions. Well, like, what about this? And what about this? And at the end of it, she's like, you're not a yeah. straight cis lady. And I said, um, 
I don't know how I feel about that because that feels heavy. That feels like yeah. more clothes I have to put on. Right. Um, and, and I hate clothes. <laughs> you know, so texturally for me, um, trying to navigate my own um, labels, like it's hard and, and easy labels and hard and, and complicated labels are all like, I don't want to not say them because I want to be respectful and there's nothing wrong with any of my labels. And also I don't want to have to engage in identifying. I hate identity. Like, like you know, do you, when I'm do asked you, about that for my coursework, I'm like, I'm everything and nothing. Okay. Leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes talking about my labels feels a lot like introductions and like um, Edwardian England you know, uh-huh. where they listed all of your titles and your lands and your whatever's before you could walk down the stairs to get some water, you know, like, I just don't know what to do with them. And I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to make them less than or d- be dismissive of them either. So it's really, um, it is hard. Complicated. I can't spend a lot of time on it because I get lost. I absolutely get lost. And I just spin about, well, if I'm this, then I can't be that. Or if I'm this, then I can't be that. <laughs> and it's just a big mess. Uh, my, my latest one that I'm struggling with. Um, so I've been learning art and I've been called an artist and I don't feel that that's, um, I, I just don't know if that's like, I don't know. Yeah, right? no, I always have that. And it took me a while just for the sake of convenience to just say it um just to say the things I do and not worry about it like because it caused me that kind of stress too because I get so in my head about um defining it and analyzing it and what does that mean and and I'm like oh my god just say it don't worry about it just write it say it it's over with but um yeah I I think philosophically I've always believed that we're all artists just a facet constantly um encouraging me to think about myself like I think about them um so that's that's what I try yeah that's helpful yeah a little (laughs) to me people are tangible experiences and I don't mean that I have to put my physical hands on exactly it's like you can feel them without I can touch them without touching yes and it's um I can um it's in the texture of their voice. It's in the way they hold their right. head it's in the way they hold their body or the way they sit or the way they laugh, the way the, the sound comes out of their mouth, the way they talk about something they love, the way they, they lean into something they don't love. Um, yeah. And so the experience of humanity within a person, when I'm sitting across from them has texture, has sound that is separate from the reality of their, their physical texture and their actual sound it yeah. is, um, and associated to colors and scents that are not uh, present for the most yeah. part. So I just had a thought that if we are on the autism spectrum, that autists are often known for not picking up on social cues oh. and yet, and yet the sensory cues are off the charts. So it's like, we're tapping into something that may not be conventional and like right there on the surface and that what people are trained to do and know to do from a social standpoint. So we can't read those signs, but we can like feel the energies and the changes and the tones that other people are not. I I would think it's almost, I think that is why I gravitate towards relationship with, with animals because Mm -hmm. They don't have all that social nonsense, you know, like they're not processing things in the same way. I feel like I relate more to how animals like just pick up on the energy immediately and just like, you know, they're, they're natural synesthetes, you know, I can, I can pick up on social cues. I was raised codependent the way people are raised Mm -hmm, Catholic. mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. reading the room at my house was life and death, you know, literally. Yeah. Um, I've defaulted to that my entire life because it lets me fit in and nobody knows. Right. Nobody has to know I'm weird. Um, Yeah. No, weird is my thing. And I used to take notes on like what normal people did 
Like mm-hmm. seriously, I would sit yeah. there and put in a diary, like, okay, she did this so, when this happened. After my therapist said, um, I think you might be autistic. I would like you to talk to somebody. I went to my physician and I said, this is what happened in therapy. And they were like, why do you agree? Do you disagree? How do you feel about this? And I said, um, I think that he's correct. I mean, like I read up on it. I think he's correct. Uh, I checked all the box. I took this yeah. RADS test and scored yeah. like in the 140s. Right. Um, Same and uh, she said, well, give me an example. And I said, of what? She's like, how do you communicate? And so I told her all of my rules of communication, how many times you make eye contact, how many appropriate breaths are in between <laughs> words, how, um, how to navigate a conversation. How to Normal people don't think about No. <laughs> what the answer is, or if they just want to speak, you know, like when they say, how are you? And usually I ask, I'm like, so are yeah. you asking me because, you know, like I need to know, like, which yeah. is it because I'm literal and I'm not you, picking up on the nuance to ask, or would you right. like to know how I'm doing? Um, because I don't want to overburden you with how I'm doing. If you're just mm-hmm. if oversharing, you're just right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have rules about friendships. Like, um, I'm not going to assume friendship. I'm not going to inflict friendship on you. I'm not going to snatch away your friend. I'm going to ask, do you want to be friends? I'd love to be friends with you. I really like, and it's so hard when people don't share that need to actually know the truth. Like we need to know verbatim the actual truth. Yeah. And and they don't ever say it. They think the best thing is sparing feelings. And, you know, so any tests I take evaluations, I'm always like, what is more important, the truth or feelings? And I'm like, the truth, like, of course, (laughs) like I can deal with the rest, but if I don't know the direct actual answer, the actual information, I can't do it in my own weird way. Like, yeah, it's really hard that, that, uh, neurotypicals don't understand that is like a panic inducing need to know the actual information. Yeah. To me anyway, that day with my doctor though, like I, I went on for about 10 minutes telling her all the rules of communication, just our interaction, all the stuff that was going on in my head as she and I had been interacting. And she finally put her hand on my hand and she went, that's a lot. I was yeah. like, not really. Like I'm pretty chill today. Yeah, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> right. We've learned to like so live like this. I mean, I guess it's like um PTSD. Like you've lived in this hyper arousal state for your entire life. And so of course you're gonna feel physically and mentally exhausted and fatigued and forget things and like yeah, it, it, it takes a toll. Um did you get to finish? I'm just being yeah. mindful of the time. Yeah. Okay. So it's, so the other thing was, um, when you described, um, having that almost, I don't know what else to say, but psychic moment with that secretary, um, have you ever had an experience with like a departed loved one or where something where you've connected um, psychically with uh, an energy because I have I have, have a visitation with a friend and that was the same way we communicated that you just described so yours was a living person but mine was a living person that time um so one of the reasons my mom um pushed so hard not to be different um my first remembered time that I did this I was about five um, maybe six kindergarten. Um, I've, uh, my birthday was in the middle of the year. It's December. So, um, I never, I can't remember, um, which side of the year it was. Yeah, on. yeah. So in kindergarten, my dad's dad, um, he had surgery, he had skin cancer. And it was one of the weekends that I got to go be with my dad. And he took me, it was important that my brother and I go see my grandfather. And I remember being in this living room on the couch. They made me sit next to him. And um, I don't, I don't have, this is my only memory of this human. Um, But I remember like trying to like uh, leaning with my shoulder, trying to like get away from him and doing that loud 
you know, that loud whisper kids do where they're trying to whisper to you across the room, but it's practically a shout. And I'm like, he's going to die. This guy. And I'm like pointing at him, like behind my other hand, like he's going to die. And I'm just like, Oh, just let me. It's so, it's so he's dying. I just wanted to go outside and be on my bike. He wasn't, he was, he was the first one I remember, but he certainly wasn't the last person that I would tell my family, oh, this person's going to die. And then they did. Yeah. Like the next time I saw my dad was his funeral. Um, I was wearing the same dress, ironically. Um, my other grandfather, I, we got the call that he was in the hospital. And I told my mom, if we don't go right now, he's going to be dead before morning. And mm-hmm. he was. And um, I got better as I got older. I told I told my whole family, my mom is going to die on this date around this time. And she did Uh, like they planned for it. They sent my brother away. They, they brought the whole family in that day. They hired the nurse for that day. Like everybody was ready and in the house for when my mom died. Um, So it's just a knowing it was a knowing it was a knowing Um, and nobody really liked it. And everybody, it made everybody uncomfortable. It made me really sad. Um, yeah, it's a lot. When people would die, then um, the adults in my life would be angry with me. Like I yeah. made it happen. Like it wasn't the cancer. It was my words. It wasn't whatever. It was me saying something. Um, there was a lot of superstition in my house. Like don't say yeah. it if it, so it doesn't become true. And what? That doesn't make any kind of sense, actually. Um, after my mom died, I rejected it. Like every time it came up, I, I would just swipe it away, kill it. it. It couldn't be in my body. I couldn't see it. I couldn't, I didn't cry. I didn't feel things. I just shut all the way down um, because it wasn't helpful and I didn't appreciate it. And I didn't really know what to yeah. do. Um, and after I had my kids um, and I uh, came back to tarot actually and came back to divining um, for other people, because I didn't do that for other people for a really, really long time. Um, yes, go ahead and tell us your tarot uh, story. Cause well, I think it'll is, all kind of make sense. Dead thing. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It shifted a, a member of our community, her husband, um, uh, he committed suicide, which was, um, really difficult for her. And his family wanted, they ran like a pagan retreat place and his family wanted a Christian burial. And she was very upset and um, wanted a pagan service. And I offered to facilitate that. I offered to come and say the words and, and do the things for her that she needed, right? Be the death doula and get everybody through. And so I brought my decks and I did grief counseling. And, um, it was the first time that I spoke with somebody already dead and it was weird. And I, I didn't really know how to, um, I didn't really know how to process it. Uh, and it's happened a handful of times since, and it's weird every time. Um, it happened again when I was reading cards, um, at this bar here in town. Um, I felt like, like water running down my neck and I felt like, um, like I wasn't alone. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in this booth and there's just somebody chilling right next to me. And I'm like, this is weird. And I hate it. And this woman, she's part of a group. I read the other three people in her group. This woman comes in and she and I are talking and I'm like, do you have like an aunt? You know, do you, do you, do you have a, no, it was a female relative. Cause I feel like, and I felt like such a fraud, like I'm sitting there, you know, she's in a bar getting a reading by some, you know, like, Oh my God, this is a mess. I hate every word that's coming out of my mouth right now. However, I feel like somebody is here with you. And she said, really? I was like, yeah. Were you close to anybody that's died in your family? She's like my aunt. And I said, does she have a New York accent? She's like, yeah. And then we got into it. And um, 
the aunt wanted to warn her about Angela. And she's like, I don't have anybody in my family named Angela. And I was like, well, she said that Angela is the reason. And she went at work. Oh my God. And like, she starts screaming about Angela in the booth. And it's this whole New York drag out fight between the aunt oh my and the, the girl. And when it's over, I just felt like I was going to vomit and I was starving. And, um, but the, the water feeling behind, you know, yeah. the back of my neck was gone. And, um, I went to my friend afterwards, the lady who owns the bar, I was like, so this happened in your space. I'd like it to never happen again. I would like to, I want to be in charge of when it happens. I don't, I don't want to just show up one day and somebody go, oh, this looks like a good ride. No, thanks. Help me figure that out. So she made me a little bag um, that was helpful to wear. Um, but I haven't explored the relationship I have with talking to dead folks because it yeah. freaks me out. And yeah, no, I, yeah, I was, mine was very, um, controlled, I guess, because it was someone I was so close to and I felt good about it. And I felt like I did something good to yeah. com commune with his energy and understand what he needed. And I was able to do that as a living person. So it felt very fulfilling and yet, and that was my single experience with that. Um, so Sarah, my co-host for the podcast is a psychic medium and she's just believes that I have, she's like, you've done it. You've shown that like you are a medium. Um, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't necessarily want to be <laughs> like, I'm not right. going so into weird. strangers stuff. And like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I want to go there. I read once at, um, it was a psychic fair and um, I decided I'm going to try this here. I'm going to try to. Yeah. Channel on yeah. Purpose. Oh yeah. I would like and that. this man and woman, they were siblings. They come over to my table and they want to buy that reading from me, that, that thing. And I'm like, okay. And I'm sitting there and I, I get my head into the space where I'm like, come on, let's, what do you have? And I hear this old lady and I tell them, she already told you everything. And I said, take your money back. This is ridiculous. And so I gave them their money back and they're sitting there staring at me. And the sister tells the brother, I told you over there that this was real and grandma that we were done. I was like, hold on. You guys went and saw one psychic and thought you'd come over here to me and get like a test. It's like, oh my gosh, told you everything. She's a second opinion. We're all mad. Let's go. <laughs> And I gave them back their money and told them to get out of my face. Like <laughs> that was awful. So I never did that again. And I thought I'm just not cut out for um, fairs and festival yeah. readings. And yeah, that would be so psychically depleting. Yeah, it's too much. Yes. Yeah. Um, I ended so, up in the hospital that time. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me then how I just you know want to know how you came to tarot and like it doesn't have to be some long thing because we're kind of running out of time but I just I I wanted to know like what what draws you to tarot what your kind of overall um philosophy for lack of a better word like how do you conceive of the tarot and you have like maybe it kind of jumps out at you that you want to connect to anything in this conversation I've loved tarot since I was young. Uh, I moved 17 times and kept that same deck with me over 19 years. It was always just part of me. And I um, struggled for a long time. Like I didn't discover I could buy another deck or that there were tarot books uh, because, all, well, I knew there were tarot books, but all of my tarot books that I saw or found were for Rider Waite Smith decks. And I yeah. didn't know there were different systems. I just, well, that's probably like, I got the feeling like that wasn't your system. Well, I started, I started with the classic tarot, uh, Stuart Kaplan put out It's a Marseille deck. Um, and it had that stupid little white book and I just didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to yeah. me. So that was my only deck for so long. And then, um, 
when I would see books, I would see writer weight and I'd be like, well, the majors match, but nothing like I've got this generic deck, you know, this, um, it'd be the wish version of tarot. Now that's what I thought. Um, so, so then were you, you had your own system that helped. Yeah. Yeah. You Uh, sort of developed your feelings for it because it was yours. Like it was part of you. Kind of. Um, I, I did have a system. Um, so all of the pips, I made them numbers of people. What happens with two people have money? What happens when two people have, you know, these emotional things? What happens when two people make changes with swords? What happens with two people have wands or sticks? What happens when 10 people have sticks? What happens with five people have sticks? And then there were these structures that would happen in my head that were almost like math. Um, so when eight people got together, that was two squares. And how sturdy is that? You can make a cube. You can make these two separate places. There was just all these connections. You could work together um, and make your cube stronger. It, it was just, yeah. um, I called it tarot math. Yeah. And, no, I, I did a lot of weird stuff like that with numbers and patterns myself. So yeah. now I'm just thinking of all the ways that our neurodivergence <laughs> is just like out there, superpower stuff. When I got my second deck. Um, which was the Shadowscape stack, I saw the stories come to life, you know. Um, That's the um, Stephanie Pullman Law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so neat. Yeah. I wish it were bigger, though. It's so tiny. Oh, yes. But I mean, it could be like 11 by 14, and I still would yeah, want there's to find so much in to, it. I yeah. know. Oh, I love it. I'm trying to think of which is the one where. Um, it reminds me of my mom. Um, there's a figure playing piano out in the woods. I can't think of what. Yes. Piano. Yes. I love that. I love that one. I think it's an eight of pentacles, maybe. Um, oh, maybe sure. it's the nine of pentacles. Maybe. Because it's the one usually like the lush surroundings. Uh-huh, the and all that stuff. I think you're right. But um, I tried to read that book and. I mean, I, I really like, I enjoyed the part where the, the artist talks about their process. I enjoy the parts where they talk about the art, the, you know, the true things the artist says about their work. I love to read those things. Yeah. Yeah. I did not love to read this card means this. Right. <laughs> ever. Yeah. Um, and because of that, because of my um, inherent um, ick factor. <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Um, I couldn't, uh, I, I had started to like talk to other people who read tarot Mm -hmm. and they were like, Oh, this is how it works. And this means that. And I was like, clearly I'm not a real reader. And I felt, uh, I operated in the tarot world. Like, uh, I felt like a liar. Like I'm not real. I told people that like, I'll read for you, but I'm not, it's not a real reading. It's not going to be very good. And then, um, at the end of it, they'd be like sobbing. <laughs> uh, I would feel terrible because I'd clearly done terrible, awful things. You know, it was bad because they're crying and they were like, no, um, this was so helpful. And I was like, but it's not even, this isn't how tarot works. And it took a few hundred, uh, literal hundred times of that before I finally, um, started having real conversations with other, um, with friends who read tarot. Um, I remember reading that I got, and I, I did not engage in readings. I did not let people read me because it's weird. So I don't like it either. Weird. It's you're taking this paper and then telling me, I know how this works. It's weird. So um, I feel the same way. I'm a photographer and I can't stand to have my picture taken. So weird. So weird. So um, I'm sitting down with her. We're at breakfast and she, she takes my deck and she reads for me. And um, she's talking to me about letting it be okay. That every reader has their own voice and it's okay to use mine. And then she takes the de- she takes the cards off the table and she says, I want you to look at my face. I will tell you, you know, my job as the person who owns the bar where you read in that booth, I will tell you when you're not doing a good job. She's like, people request you. They want to know when you're going to be there so they can come see you. That doesn't, we're a bar. 
You know, that's, that doesn't happen a lot. Trust, you can do this. And I was like, okay. Uh, but I feel like I'm not a real reader because I don't know all the books. And she said, well, go learn them. And I did. And they're done. I mean, to me, for me, for my own methodology. Um, they're incredibly useful for every person who needs them to be in their lives. Right? Yeah, I, I needed them and I needed to listen to podcasts because I finally found that was fit my learning style because I got to hear a lot of different tarot perspectives. Right. And so that yeah. worked for me. And I was like, I picked and chose what um, system worked for people right. that I related to. And so right. I, I kind of like made this conglomerate system for myself, but that foundation um, coming from like foundational knowledge that was shared by many people was incredibly helpful for right. me. And then I could for I could go off from there. Um, but yeah, I like I'm someone who who feels like I can't get started until I know the basics and I, I yeah. can build on them. So I learned yeah. tarot in a bubble. Nobody I knew had tarot cards. Nobody. Right. They thought that, oh my God, they thought uh they thought I was consorting with the devil, but also hit me up for readings at you know, one in the <laughs> yeah. morning. I think that everybody, everybody, and I mean, everybody, everybody um, has their own unique perspective. And I think that you could put a single symbol, a dove, you could put a dove in front of a hundred people and a hundred different realities yeah. for that dove will exist. So when you take something like tarot, and you take all these images and the, the curve of a vine or the, the flowering and blossoming of a flower or, or the unfurling of a petal, it's going to mean something different to every reader. And the interpretation that you give of what you are seeing with your eyes, when you allow the art to inform the learning that is happening, mm -hmm. um, that's where it comes from. It comes from that moment, you and the art and the image and your experience in life. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm not even fully present. I, I mean, I'm there obviously, but like I'm um, my teacher, he calls them expanded states and um, having that language helps me when I'm sitting with a, a person that I'm reading for. Um, but prior to that, I just called it the space between us, but it is, it's, an, it's a different state of being. Um, and I, it, my job isn't to carry the things that I say to somebody. My job isn't to carry the reading or to keep the reading. Exactly. Or, or to define and, the reading. My job and is you to know, give. Yeah. Reading. And that's why I, uh, of all the things I've done, um, like I've been attuned to Reiki. I'm Reiki level mm -hmm. two. I have the potential to be a psychic medium. Um, and I prefer working with tarot because I feel like it allows me to not be the one to carry, mm -hmm. like you're saying, yeah. um, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't, I mean, of course it's draining when you do a long reading and it's involved and there's a lot of emotion. That's just an empathic thing. I think where you're just, whew, that was a lot of peopling, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Amanda, I'm going to, um, say goodbye and thank you for sharing all this. Was there anything else at all that you wanted to leave us with or, um, I could tell you, um, if it's okay, that I've opened my calendar back up to creation, um, debt creation consulting. Oh, I wonderful. Figure out how to put their deck in the world in a way that's right for them. Not, hmm, I might take you up on that. <laughs> I have a second one in the marketing. works. Um, yeah, that's not, I don't think that's real. I think everybody has their own voice and their own style. And I try to help people find a way to work within that. Um, and there's just endless, I mean, I know from as someone when I, that was my best learning about the tarot system was creating my own yeah. did with my, my photography and my synesthetic yeah. ways. Um, and, and now I'm wanting to, 
I'm on the verge of doing one with Rooster Owl and it's just expanded my mind just with his experiences. And then I wanted to like parallel them to my experiences and, and the energies of the trees and the directions. And it's just, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I just having a mind blown moment about how you can do it any way you want. And it will be every way. It, yeah. Yeah. It brings meaning and people will glean meaning who use it in their way. And it's, it's just, uh, what an amazing experience um, tarot is and to incorporate it into your life. Everything you start seeing is kind of, I naturally like to like my brain categorizes things. So it's mm-hmm. been just a wonderful way to just kind of go, Oh, that's a, this moment, that's a, this card or, you know, like the feeling. And yeah. Um, I had a question for you. Yeah. This came up. So when you go places like the garden or the zoo or, you know, museums, right. do you ever like find tarot images? through? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And runes. And I'm oh, not, neat. I don't really know runes, but like I always see the Othala. It's like, it's a diamond with like two legs coming out. Okay. okay. And strangely, it means like heritage, lineage, ancestry, home. Um, but I see it constantly, but yeah, I do. Yeah. It's neat. I like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We can say goodbye. I hope you have a really good day. You too. It was so rewarding talking to you. So enriching and wonderful. I had a really good time. Yeah. So glad. We'll talk again. Try to like not babble. Don't babble. Don't babble. (laughs) Oh no, no. That's where the good stuff starts to happen. I think. It's like doodling. <laughs> I hope you have a good day. I hope it's nice and easy and beautiful outside. It looks like it is. We haven't been out yet. <laughs> you too. All right. All right. We'll talk, talk again. You, you right. too. Bye. Bye.